This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Eddie DeBartolo, and you're listening to The Eye Test for Two with Clark Judge and Ira Kaufman. Welcome to this week's edition of the I Test for Two podcast. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we're Hall of Fame voters, as I hope you should know, joined as usual by our Hall of Fame producer, and that would be Mr. Ian Glendon, who, like Ira, lives in the Tampa Bay area, but who, unlike Ira, is a diehard Patriots fan. So, Ian, uh, I'll ask you right out of the gate here. We're over a week into free agency. What do you make of the flurry of signings? and the mega bucks that your New England Patriots are throwing around. Um, I like it because the mega bucks, it's it's kind of an illusion. You know, people look at the total value number of, of these contracts when in reality these uh, these contracts are being structured in a way that, I, I mean, it's pretty impressive from the Patriots standpoint. And, and really, it's something they had to do. They uh, Bill Belichick spoke about it uh, several months ago about how last season was a cap reset year for them. They had to basically pay the bill of Tom Brady and some others. And, uh, you know, they had means and opportunity this off season. And I, I like what they've done. They got to do it on the field now. Bad news for you. Cam Newton's resigned. Tom Brady hasn't. He's resigned with the Bucks. What do you make of the Cam Newton resigning? I like it. I, I've actually been saying I'd rather him, uh, assuming, you know, there's not a game changer out there available. And I think the one that there that is has gotten himself there's some situations surrounding, obviously, Deshaun Watson. But outside of him, I don't see another quarterback that's worth giving up the capital to go get. So I'll roll with Cam Newton, see what they can do in the draft or, or maybe next season. But I like his situation a lot better this year than it was last year, based on just the players around him. Okay, well, speaking of rolling, today is yet another big day for Tampa, you guys, and Bucks fans, because today NFL Films is rolling out an extended look at last season's Tampa Bay Bucks. Apparently the digital version costs $14.99, the DVD is $24.99, and the Blu-ray combo pack is $34.99. So Ira, you getting all three? No, the Ira Kaufman special is zero, Clark, because <laughs> I've, I've already seen it, sir. While you stand in line at Best Buy, waiting to get your grubby hands on it. I've already seen it. 75 minutes of Nirvana for Buccaneer <laughs> fans. Sorry, Sam, with your one in 15 Jaguars, you're going to have to wait a while. 
uh, for your DVD, but um, it's very well done, Clark, and you know better than anybody. If NFL Films puts their name on something, it, it's first class. No yeah, question well, about it. Apparently, there's 3,000 hours of footage that they went through to turn into a 75-minute documentary. And Ira, one simple question. You in this documentary? You know, they have some people asking questions on the Zoom call, and I, I, I didn't make it, Clark. I just didn't make it. You know, it's kind of like Kevin Costner got cut out of the big chill. <laughs> he was supposed to be, uh, and he ended up being the dead guy in the beginning. That's what happened to me, Clark. I'm a dead man. Yeah, I tell you what, I get a big chill thinking of that film without you, Ira. Um, anyway, before we bring in today's guest, a quick trivia question for both of you from football perspective. Saw this one today. Thought I'd run it past both of you because I didn't know the answer. Between and including the years of 1985 to 1987, only one player, only one receiver averaged at least 69 yards receiving per game. Can you name him? Ira, I'll start with you. 85 to 87, only one receiver. I'll say James Lofton. What do you got? James Lofton is not the answer. Ian Glendon? That was going to be my guess because he was the only one I could think of. So uh, <laughs> I, I'll, 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 I'll pass because I don't know the answer. <laughs> wait, a, wait a minute. Our, our guest, today's guest, is waving his hand, and he said he wants in on this. That's Sam Kuvaris from Jacksonville. Sam, you got an answer? Gary Clark. That's the good answer. It's not the right one. Wrong. <laughs> so, Sam, you, you go take a timeout, all right? You're going to wait for us to call you. <laughs> okay, That's a good guess, Sam. That's a good guess. Guys, the answer is Drew Hill of the Houston Oilers, who averaged 73.1 in 1985, 69.5 in 1986, and 82.4 in 1987. I would have thought maybe Jerry Rice, except 85 was his rookie year. That was his one down year, 57.9. The closest guy actually was Steve Largent. Steve Largent had an excess of 69 in 85 and 87, but 66.9 in 86. And then Art Monk from the Washington, uh, then Redskins, uh, as Sam knows, did not make it. Two of those three years, he didn't make it. Gary Clark was actually the uh, better receiver in 87. But since we mentioned Sam and brought him in for that trivia question, let's get to him right now, guys. Um, and I'm talking about a good friend and Hall of Fame voter, Sam Kuvaris, who has been named, yes, named one of the 50 most influential people in Jacksonville, and who I'm told has flown with the Blue Angels and had three carrier arrested landings and launching. Sam, is that accurate? Oh, that's true. I'm, I'm one of a handful of people that actually have flown with both the Blues and the Thunderbirds. So, Whoa, the Thunderbirds uh, too. And, it, and it, um, it encouraged me. One of my closest friends was, it, was a, in the Blue Angels. Encouraged me to become a pilot. I've been a pilot for about, let me think, 20 years now. So. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Um, so let me ask you this. I mean, the Blue Angels with the Navy. Thunderbirds right. are with the Air Force. Um, what's tougher? Landing a jet on a carrier? Are covering the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> covering the Jaguars, you know, because there's a there's a level of skill that it takes, and once you master it, you can land that thing on the boat. But with the Jaguars, you never know what's going to happen. It, <laughs> it's, it's different every every uh, every ten minutes, and certainly has been different here in the last couple of months with Urban Meyer taking over uh, as the head coach. Um, I don't like him personally. I mean, I've covered him for a long time, 17 years. 
when he was at Florida and then, of course, on to Ohio State. And um, he's a very, I think he's a very difficult guy from a media standpoint to deal with. And the reason is because he always acts like you're stupid and he's smart. And, and you know, when you guys have dealt with, with coaches and administrators like that before where they just feel like you're just the stupid reporters, they know everything, you know nothing, so don't ask these questions. And, you know, when he hired the strength and conditioning coordinator from Iowa, we asked him the question, and, you know, I'm there on that Microsoft Teams call, and his reaction was like, almost how dare you ask me this question? I mean, but, you know, you've got you, – there's a lot of layers in the NFL that you don't have to deal with in college football. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Sam, because since you talked about Urban Meyer, I'll ask you a question before our jumps in here. I do suspect and remember um, covering the University of Maryland basketball team and, and the questions that were asked then. And, and I do suspect that when coaches make that move from the collegiate level to the pros, Bobby Ross was a guy I covered who was at Maryland and Georgia Tech. And when he made the move to the pros, he was not prepared for the level of questions and he once pulled me aside after I wrote a story and said, you should have asked me about that because we're all a family. I said, I'm not part of this family, Bobby. I'm not. I've got right. utmost respect for Bobby Ross. I do always have. But I told him that that's not the, the, the deal here. So you're going to you deal know, with I some mean, of that I, probably. And, and Ira has experienced this and, and, and you're experienced with that as well. But, you know, when you cover college football and pro football at the same time, you walk into those press conferences a very different group of media people in there you walk into a college press conference it's a lot of kids who are working for the college radio station the tv station the college newspaper um there's not a lot of you know i hate to say this full-time professional reporters in there i can tell you that probably a half dozen times when i went down to florida for an urban meyer press conference and asked a question urban would say to me now who are you with again because it was he wasn't used to people actually asking him like a, a probing. I'm not accusing you of anything. Right. Just here's, here's what people ask me. So I'm asking you, right. You know, but you don't get that a lot in college because in many cases, the college coach doesn't even really work for the president of the university either. I mean, he's got his own thing going. So uh, here when the Fritz Fowler Alliance says this guy has no place in the NFL, you better pay attention. Because, like I said, there's a lot of layers in this league that you've got to uh, you've got to re respond to. Sam, the last thing I want to do, Sam, is jinx you uh, going into uh, L.A. in February, uh, because Sam, if anybody knows what you're going through, it's me with, with, with John Lynch, and then the nightmare is over, and 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 Baselli, you know, uh, who who arguably was the best player at his position over in a, you know a five six year span. That's a long period in the NFL. So Sam, you know, I, I don't think it's going to give you any pleasure that Clark and I think that it's going to be a cleanup year. And, and we'd be shocked if Boselli isn't at the top of the list uh, of the guys that are going in. Is that your feeling? And, and how's Boselli holding up so far? Tony, I think he's leaning on his faith, which is good because uh, it's, and his family, because as you know, with John, it's a, it's an arduous process when you get so close for so many years. Um, Clark and I have discussed many times your ability to change your presentation about John Lynch every year. And I've, I've used that as a model, trying to do different things. And I've pretty much laid out the Sully's entire candidacy. Really nothing new to say it. 
to me, um, based on the current criteria to get into the Hall of Fame, Tony Baselli is a Hall of Famer. And because no longer is the length of career really a consideration. Although there are some guys who have, who have said to me, he didn't play long enough. I'm never voting for him. Well, and they say, well, I didn't vote for Terrell Davis and I didn't vote for Kenny Easley and I'm not voting for Tony Vassell. If there's enough of those guys, he won't get in. In terms of what you said, the, the number of years that he played, played 97 games, 13% of all players in the hall played fewer than 100 games. 25% of all tackles played fewer than 100 games. Belly has those those years where where he was the dominant player among five tackles who are now all in the Hall of Fame. When you look at Ogden and Roth and Zimmerman and and um, and players like that, so he was the dominant player among those guys. And and if if the Hall of Fame is going to follow the same rules year after year, then Donnie Baselli should be a part of it. Sam, I want to ask you about a couple other Jaguars who, who, whose names they don't come up quite often enough, in, in my opinion. Um, and I do a show with Derek Brooks, Sam, and and you know we all respect Brooks and 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 the way he looks at players, and he kind of always mentions Fred Taylor to me, Sam, yeah. as a heck of a player, and and then you saw Jimmy Smith, and the last time I looked, he, he had nine one thousand yard seasons, uh, kind of in anonymity, uh, you know, for most of those years, but Sam, that fourteen and two Jacksonville. Uh, I, I, he was probably the best player on that team, maybe next to Paselli. Um, yeah. Talk, yeah, talk about Taylor and, and, and Jimmy Smith a little. I think the answer, Ira, is pretty simple. Neither of them played with Peyton Manning, and they played in Jacksonville. And if, if you know, and I've said this about the Hall of Fame many times. You know, you can say Troy Palomalu is a Hall of Famer, and you could say, well, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. But if his name was Ed Smith and he played in Jacksonville and he had short hair, would he have been a first ballot Hall of Famer? Probably not. But he played in Pittsburgh, and he and he had a persona about him, and the, the way he played. Fred Taylor played in Jacksonville, didn't play. You know, you could say, okay, compare him to Edger and James. I'm sorry, Fred Taylor's a better player than Edger and James. Bigger, stronger, faster, could do more things. Um, statistically, also stacks up against uh, Edger and James. But he didn't play with Peyton Manning. And, you know, he played in Jacksonville in relative, as you said, anonymity. Virtually the same thing with Jimmy Smith. When you start talking about, and, and I'm with our, our mutual friend Vito Stellino on this deal, that since 1978 when they changed the rules, you know, it's become a video game. It's not all about the numbers when it comes to wide receivers. Um, you know, and when they said, well, Chris Carter was the greatest boundary receiver in the history of the game. I turned to Clark, I think, in the meeting. I said, well, they never heard of Raymond Barry? <laughs> so, you know, there's, there, there's, a, there's a whole different perspective there uh, now since 1978. Jimmy Smith has, has tremendous numbers. If Jimmy Smith had played for the Giants and Eli Manning was his quarterback, he'd probably be in the room. We're the Hall of Fame voter, Sam Kavaris, on the I Test for Two podcast. And, Sam, I'll ask you a pointed question. You have to present – Tony Baselli again, mm -hmm. 2022. You've presented him the last five years. The last five years, he's been a top 10 finalist. For whatever reason, he can't cross the finish line. And we've been over this many times before. I'm of the mind, and I think Ira is too, 
If he can't get in in 2022 because it's wide open, I don't think he's making it. No, I agree with you. And I thought in last year's meeting, which was done virtually, uh, somebody made a comment, and it might have even been David Baker, the, the president of the hall, that there are so many factors that go into the hall. And there's a timing factor of when you're eligible. There's who you played against. Fred Taylor, for instance. Fred Taylor made one, one Pro Bowl. Right. Okay. But if you look at the guys that he played against, more prominent markets, better teams, you know, he probably would have made more Pro Bowls had he played for a different team and been more of a uh, more competitive, competitive teams. Tony Baselli, same thing. A lot of different factors. Nobody denies his greatness as a player when he played. There were five offensive linemen among 15 finalists. That's an unbelievable number. The first time he became a finalist. There were five other offense, four other offensive linemen. That's a third of the guys we talked about that day. So now we've got it down. You know, Fanica's in and Mawai's in and Hutchinson's in and Jacoby's in the senior pool. So now Baselli's the only guy left there. And I really believe, and if you talk to Bill Polian and you talk to so many other personnel people and you talk to any coach, tackle is the premier offensive line position. Your best athletes are there. They're asked to do – they're asked to – Block Derek Thomas, and they're asked to block Bruce Smith. And Baselli was proficient against both of those. So I think you're right. If, if he doesn't get in this coming year, I don't know when. But I, I think this would be the year. I think it would be very difficult when you look at who's going to be a finalist <coughs> to deny Tony Baselli an opportunity to, uh, to get in the hall this year. Well, as Ira mentioned, you and he have a kinship here because he presented John Lynch eight straight years and he's in now um that'll be your sixth straight year next year 2022 you know what do you let me let me cut you off for a second what do you plan on doing to convince the voters who haven't been in his corner to come around to him and again i would think you'd have to throw some kind of change up even though it's a slight curve whatever to give them something that they haven't considered before so statistically i quoted a couple stats a a few minutes earlier and talked about the number of games, but I think one of the things I'm going to emphasize this year is I'm going to talk to offensive line coaches and other head coaches who played against him and, and get their kind of testimonial about, you know, boy, if you could have a Baselli on your team, would it make your team better? You know, obviously the answer is yes. And where did he, where does he stack up in your mind? So many people say, you know, Baselli is one of the top two or three guys to ever play that position. Munoz is at the top. Jim Parker's probably there. Baselli's in that conversation, certainly in the top three to five guys to ever play that position. So uh, I think I'll, I'm going to try to make sure that I come to the table this coming year with more testimonials of of guys who are very specific about that position and what, what that position means to a football team and how, how it can change what you do offensively. Sam, let's talk about um, let's talk about the Jags uh, 2021. Sam, they got the first pick. They lost their last 15 games, obviously. Uh, they need help. Uh, they need help at the box office, too. They need some pizzazz. Sam, any chance, I mean any chance, they trade the number one pick and do not take Trevor Lawrence. None. And here's why. 
So if you take Trevor Lawrence and he's a bust, well, you took him. It's not like people would say, well, you should have taken Justin Fields. Nobody's going to say that. Everybody knows you should take Trevor Lawrence. But if you take Justin Fields or you take one of the other quarterbacks that's, you know, that's being touted somewhere, you trade down and you get, you know, you get some more picks. And, and then what if Trevor Lawrence becomes a superstar, which everybody expects? Well, then you just look stupid. I think, I think you don't, don't, don't overthink it. Take the guy and think about your second pick. He's a uh, Trevor Lawrence, I think is a, is a generational kind of talent. And also, and, and you guys know this as well as anybody. There's certain players who fit in certain places. I mean, Terry Bradshaw fit in Pittsburgh because of kind of the, the attitude that he had. Um, Peyton Manning fit with Bill Polian and, and company in Indianapolis. Um, Derek Brooks fit down in Tampa with Tony Dungy. I mean, th- those, are the, those are the kind of things. I think Trevor Lawrence fits in Jacksonville. And um, I think he'll embrace it. And I know that fans here just can't even wait for him to get to town. Sam, did the Jags have, uh, and I'm not talking about the talent on the field, the people that are going to be working, Sam, directly with Lawrence to develop him, what's your confidence level in them? Unknown, because it's a whole, it's a whole new staff. And uh, I do know that, you know, Meyer has said that he wants to be a part of that. So it's not going to just be offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and the, the, the head coach is going to be hands off. They're, they're going to be on this guy to, to work with him. And I, I really think, I mean, you look at what Meyer did in college. It's a whole different thing that he asked Tebow to do that, you know, and that he asked his quarterbacks to do at Ohio State. But I, I do think that um, just working with the guy is going to make him better. You've seen so many teams where, you know, a guy comes in and he doesn't really get the help that he needs. I think, I think it'll be there for, for Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to be a, a, an excellent player. I really do. We're with Hall of Fame voter Sam Cavaris from Jacksonville on the eye test for two. And Sam, I agree with you 100%, except Urban Meyer told me, don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm a lot smarter than those reporters. Okay, <laughs> you know, uh, you know that's probably. If I didn't know you were joking, I would say. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because we have. I know our producer Ian Glendon's uh, on this uh, uh, podcast, and and he knows Bill Belichick tells people that all the time. One difference is that Bill Belichick's got six rings, right? I mean, hey. so um, you know, it, it's a little bit different there. But I've been in that room before, were, and and that's the one thing you look through all Greek tragedies, all Stoic philosophy, right. all Roman problem. Hubris is the thing that brings these guys down. And I mean, I was listening to his press conference after they signed those free agency the other day. If he said deep dive one more time, <laughs> I was going to jump off the bridge. I was like, <laughs> everybody, everybody studies as hard as you do. I promise. And I really think that he thought like with Hunter Hayes, I think that he thought that, Oh, Hunter Hayes is going to sign with us because I'm the coach. Yeah, well, Belichick's got six rings, dude. So why not <laughs> sign with him? Yeah. You know, everybody in the league is smart. There's, you know, there's 31 other teams where they also have good personnel people, good GMs, really smart people. You, this is not, uh, you're not going to outwork anybody in this league. 
uh, and think that, well, I'm smarter than them, so we're going to win. That's just not happening. And, 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 and sort of lastly, going back to Vaselli, um, I, I'm disturbed by what you said about the durability issue that some people within that room still say he hasn't played long enough. I've heard it as well. I've right. heard that from a couple of people as well. And they go, I'm not voting for him. Didn't play long enough. I do agree with you as well. If you played in a different market, maybe with a, a, a different head coach or different quarterback, it would be different as well. However, you drew my attention to something last year, which I've used from now on, which I thought was a great stat. You can remind me whether this is accurate or not, but I think it's 25% of all tackles who are in the hall. They play That's fewer right. than 100 yeah. games. They play, play fewer than 100. 100 games. Yeah. And, you know, um, if you really look at it, tackle is a little bit underrepresented uh, in the hall, as many great tackles as we have talked about. But Baselli played in that golden era of tackle where all of these guys are in the hall. You know, it's not like, you know, he was great and then there were four other good guys. No, they were all great. And they all checked their game against Baselli. I thought that was interesting. Heck, Walter Jones wore 71 because Baselli wore 71. I mean, what's that tell you? People think he's one of the top five guys to ever be at that position. Yeah, and that's right. I'm talking to Walter Jones and he goes, you know, I never told anybody this, but, you know, I wore 71 because Tony wore it. I was like, holy smokes. Really? Yeah. You know, yeah. Willie Rove said to me, you know, I used to have them cut up Baselli, even though he wasn't even in our division or our conference, because I wanted my check my game against his. Yeah, He's and and, all. and as and as far as the durability goes, I mean, if we were having this conversation in 2016, I'd say, yeah, probably an issue. But then we let in Terrell Davis, who played what 78 games, and right. Kenny Easley, who played what 89 <laughs> games, fewer than Tony Baselli, who played 91. We let them in in 2017, I think it was, and mm. and so now. It, you can no longer question that yet. I don't know why we still do, but we still do. It comes up every time you make that presentation. Well, and as I said in the meeting, and I know it went over 90% of the guy's head. We're not talking about Marcus Dupree here. Okay. Right. You know. <laughs> Ooh, <there> they go. <laughs> Oklahoma, baby. <laughs> New Orleans <Hey>. breakers. <laughs> Sam, I got one more for you. Thanks so much for your time, Sam. Um, Sam, talk about, you know, look, you and I know that the Florida sports market, Sam, I mean, it's a difficult one in terms of, it's not, you know, the Bears, the Steelers, the Giants, you know, you better win, Sam, you better win, whether it's Northeast Florida, Southeast Florida, Tampa. Um, what's it been like, Sam, the last couple of years since uh, the Jags fell off uh, the table? Uh, what's the apathy like? And can Trevor Lawrence... Uh, by himself, Sam, bring back these fans. Ira, you know that for about 20 years, the Bucks had about 40,000 real fans that went to every game. Would that be an accurate number, maybe? Or less, Sam, or less, yeah. The Jaguars have about – there's about 40,000 real Jaguar fans who were gone, win or lose, and they show up at the stadium, um, even when they were one – this past this past year but when you um when, when you start adding a little spice to it and you know jaguar fans and football fans in town are split on urban meyer i mean florida fans hate it you know i mean they're, they're no big urban meyer fans they you know he left them twice and he left the he left the pro i mean the amazing thing when he coached there wasn't one that they won two national championships it's that everybody didn't go to jail <laughs> i mean if you think think about the guys who were on that team i mean 
half of them have 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 been in jail since then. But anyway, so fans are split about that. Trevor Lawrence will reignite that. Uh, and Ira, if you look at you mentioned the Steelers, the Giants, the Jets, the Bears, the Chiefs. Okay, so when the Redskins stopped winning, people stopped going. Nobody went to Saints games. Heck, in 99, when Troy Aikman was 1-15, in 15, you could have shot cannons through Texas Stadium and not hurt anybody. There's nobody was there for the Cowboys. You know, the Falcons, nobody goes to Falcons games. So it's, it's about winning in the league outside of about six or seven franchises. And if you really think about it, how many good franchises are there in the league that win consistently? Four or five? Maybe four? How many lose consistently? Maybe three or four of which the Jaguars are one of them. So, heck, that leaves like 25 spots where you just have to be kind of mediocre. I mean, win seven or eight or nine games. People think you're fabulous. Hey, Sam, as Ira mentioned, your team is coming off a 1-15 in season where they lost the last 15 games. Yet, they're raising their ticket prices 7.2%. So should the ticket manager go to jail? You know, I think across the league, and uh, I forget who tweeted it. I know, I know you retweeted it, Clark, that um, with the new TV money, each team's going to get $300 million every year. With the salary cap at 180, that leaves $120 million left over. So what's the operating cost for a team when you look at staff and coaches and travel, rent? I mean, even... Even if you say it's fifty million, which would be high, well, that still leaves seventy million left over, and they haven't even sold a ticket yet. So it's not really about ticket sales. It's it's you know it's the TV money and it's it's the vibe. I think that that people are looking for. There's always a good vibe around Jaguar games, even even when they're bad. The fans fans are kind of into it. Football fans here are pretty smart, and um, as Ira knows. There's a lot of competition, the beach, the, the, the river, the golf course, your boat, your backyard. I mean, there's just a, there's a lot of competition for your time like that. And it's a real commitment if you're a Florida or a Florida State or a Georgia fan to go to a game on Saturday in Gainesville or, or up in Athens or over in Tallahassee and then turn around and still not sober up and come to and come to a Jaguar game. <laughs> Sam Kavaris, there's a lot of competition for getting you on this podcast too. So thank you for your time and best of luck with Urban Meyer and those Jaguars. Thank you. We'll need Thanks, it. Sam. That was Hall of Fame voter Sam Kuvaris and Ira, you more than anyone know what he's going through with Tony Baselli. So um, you in agreement that 2022 is the make it or break it year for him. I'm right there with you, Clark. I think his nightmare is going to end. And you know what? He is a realist, Clark, because yep. you put it to him. If 2022 isn't the year, it's not going to happen. Right. I think that's really true. It's not going to happen. But I think it will happen, Clark. And I think, I don't want to speak for you, Clark. I think he's got our vote. I yeah, think he he's got our vote. That's what he got. Uh. Clark, uh, a, a black eye for the NFL, because uh, instead of talking about Trevor Lawrence and the NFL draft, Deshaun Watson is dominating the headlines, yeah. Clark. And I don't know what how this is going to end, but he's got himself a heck of an attorney in Rusty Harden. 
Clark, you know him. He's been yeah. very involved in representing sports figures and very successful. We'll see how it turns out. But it's right now, it's a huge headache for uh, the guys at Park Avenue and Roger Goodell. You want to explain that just a bit? Well, uh, I think uh, a dozen women have come out and charged Deshaun Watson with inappropriate right. behavior, to right. say the least, right. Clark, to say the least. Uh, much of it um, centered around massages right. that have uh, you know, gone uh, awry, so to speak. And um, the timing is, is a little strange to me, Clark, how this all could come out now. I agree. But, but we'll see what happens. There has to be a full investigation. Yeah, absolutely. We'll let that happen. Also let the courts uh, take their responsibility here. And the NFL will launch an independent investigation, which it already has. Uh, apart from that. So uh, I'll be interested to see that as well as you. Anyway, that's going to do it for today. But good news, we're back tomorrow with what? Who? <laughs> Tune in to find out because we don't know, but we will tomorrow. This has been the I Test for Two podcast. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs>